Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew and Right Sleeve, and I'm joined by my good friend and fellow chef, Nate Bailey, founder and president of Ideation Promotions in Portland. Our episode today revolves around one of the trickiest and challenging elements of running a promotional products business, that is, selling to the millennial customer or managing the millennial employee. Our guest today is Jessica Hutwelker, Director of National Accounts at Matchup Promotions based in Florida. Jessica will help us navigate these choppy waters and provide insights into how she has been able to make this work on both the customer and employee side. My co-host, Nate Bailey, no shrinking violet, of course, will also lend his experience as a millennial distributor principal as well. But first, here is some background on Jessica. Jess has been in the promotional products industry since 2005, working the entire time at MatchUp. She has been part of the team that has grown the business from $6.4 million in 2005 to $15.6 million in last fiscal year in 2013 placing MatchUp in the top 1% of distributors in the industry. Over the years, she has taken on more of a leadership role in the company, from mentoring new employees to becoming a strong voice for product safety, social compliance, and best practices. And of course, Jess is a millennial as well, having been born in the early 80s, and so she'll be able to provide some great experience for us. She resides in Tampa, Florida with her loyal canine companion, Sparky, and what gives her the most enjoyment is exploring and connecting with others and helping them recognize their full potential. Jess, a big welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. Thank you so much. It is awesome to have you here. And I'm going to start off with a question. I'm always curious to ask younger employees in the industry, what's it like to be a young person in the industry today? Wow, it's been quite an experience. I think a lot of us kind of get thrown into the industry, so to speak. We don't necessarily seek it out, and that was certainly my situation. I joined MatchUp in 2005 knowing absolutely nothing about the industry or anything like that, and within six weeks, I went from being hired as a pricing coordinator to learning that I would be in charge of the Travelers Co-op program six weeks into my job. So there was quite a big learning curve about understanding the industry and how it works, you know, relationships and working with so many different factors, the vendors and suppliers and the clients and warehouse and internal and external. There's so many moving parts to making everything a cohesive and making something work. It was really quite a ride to learning about the industry. So I think for a young person, it's just a totally different experience, and the industry is morphing, as we've seen over the years. I remember Leeds, you know, being the first one to launch the 24-hour service, and now, you know, most companies do offer that. So really understanding just how much we've evolved as an industry and, you know, the types of people that are working there, the workplace, and just all of it has changed dramatically. The landscape has definitely changed a lot in the last nine years. And when you say the landscape has changed a lot in the nine years, I'm interested in, in specifically around the age of the industry. I mean, have you seen the industry get older or get younger in the last eight, nine years that you've been in the industry? 
I would say younger. I think that as we move forward, especially more in technology, people that are able to pick it up quicker are going to be more successful in our industry, both in terms of the clients being younger and also internally. Not to say that there aren't still boomers or Gen Xs or whomever, you know, working from the supplier side or, or on the client side, but definitely recognizing that there is a shift toward social media, you know, having everything accessible on your mobile phone for ordering, you know, different ways of communication that's just completely different. And, you know, again, I remember when I first started and we still faxed orders and faxing is, you know, basically, you know, archaic now compared to back then. So, you know, these days it's just everything is moving very fast and the more the people can keep up, you know, the, the more value that they have in whatever realm that they're in. Yes, I um, have noticed, I've been in the industry for six and a half years, I've had ideation for five years, and I'd like to get your thoughts on what you see, speaking about morphine and the evolution of the business, have you noticed any kind of thoughts or practices or philosophies? Like for me, I've noticed that over the five years, especially as this younger generation kind of moves into our industry and does more, are more influential in our industry, that there's kind of been a sophistication, a kind of a change of the model of going to business and going to market. Have you noticed that and, and seen that with your customers and your dealings with your employees that come on board and how they go to market as opposed to, I guess, more that trunk slammer, as Mark likes to allude to, mentality that I think our industry, uh, many people had in the past? Absolutely. I think that there's less and less knocking door to door. I, mean, I think that that still happens. But people want to be wowed and they want things instantaneously. You know, I've noticed even when something's not uploading quite as fast as it normally does for me, I get annoyed, you know, and I think that, that the response levels have gotten faster and faster in terms of expectations, expectations that we have with our suppliers, expectations that we hold internally, expectations that, that our clients have had for us as well. And I think one of the things, too, is setting the pace and sometimes if we create a really high level of expectation for our clients in terms of response times or presentations or, you know, whatever, it's um, very difficult to slow that down. Just the same as, you know, we're so used to now with Amazon and getting, you know, prime shipping and, you know, that's, that's all I look for now. When I go to order something from Amazon in my search results, I always select prime. So I think that in terms of presentation styles, I think that's completely changed. You know, I think companies like Right Steve and, you know, Robin Promotions, you know, the companies with thought visionaries that just present a completely different model and different ways to look at things, that's what is going to be a differentiator. I think that bottom line, of course, customer service will always remain number one, I, I think. And in terms of building relationships and partnerships, those are, will always be very, very key. Loyalty is not as valued, I think, with a lot of end users as it was maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Specifically millennial end users, are you finding that all end users are now lacking in loyalty or declining in loyalty? You know, I think that the internet has really been wonderful and it's been obviously presented some various challenges, you know, so we have, you know, massive competitors online that are online driven and that's all that they do and they can buy 100,000 blank items and store them in their warehouse and charge 20 cents and, you know, and so they, they get these massive discounts that are really, really difficult from a pricing component are very difficult to match. 
where I think, you know, at the end of the day, unfortunately, if, if a client decides to go to an online provider like that, it's almost like you have to wait for the order to go wrong mm. for them to come back. Right. And lots of things like that can happen. But that's where, you know, the service and the partnership and relationships and history with the client do come in our favor. Right. But it, it is a challenging landscape. And, you know, getting a client who, you know, you present five different mugs and they say, oh, well, I was online and I, I came across this for $1.50. And it's like, okay, well, did you factor in the freight? Did you factor in, like, you know, that is a second color run charge? Did they do this? Did they do that? Is there a PMS match? You know, like, there's just all these different questions that aren't being asked of the client. So it's an education process. Day in and day out, it's an education process. My, you know, dealing with millennials, as a millennial, a lot of our customers, the people that I directly do business with are millennials. And I find that their loyalty is more based on the comfortability, the relationship that they have with you, the friendship that they have with you, the interactions you have with them on Facebook and Instagram. And a lot of loyalty comes from building that relationship more than it is about the production or what you do as a company. Do you find that to be similar or, or am I way off base there? Or what, what do you think about that? You know, I think at the end of the day, people are going to buy from who they like. I think that's a, a truism that's been around for decades, and I think that that's, that will be one of the remaining things. You know, people are going to buy from who they like and who they trust. So definitely building relationships with people is so critical and important, the power of partnership. And one of our standing principles at MatchUp is that partnership never, excuse me, profitability never comes before partnership. So right. partnership is always um, the most important thing and it goes beyond going the extra mile. It's, we don't want to tell the client no we always want to come to them with options no matter what and if something falls through we're going to do everything we can to make sure that it delivers on time and it's right. a happy ending for, for them you know so I, I think we've always been a very fair company in that way and I think that has helped with our client retention because you know all it really does take is one bad apple or one bad order, you know, so to speak, to really kind of make an impact. It, it can create a ripple effect. And, and so I think a lot of times it really comes down to how you proceed and how you act in those times when things don't go right. You know, I think what's really interesting about this conversation right now is that I'm hearing words like service and partnership and product quality and experiences being things that are really important for millennial customers. Yet, if, if I was, let's say, an older salesperson in this industry or someone more tenured with more experience, it's been around for, let's say, 30 years, they might say, well, hang on a second, my older clients also value all that kind of stuff. Like, what is the difference between an older customer that values loyalty and service and partnership and all that stuff? to the younger customer that is, at least according to the two of you, valuing the exact same things. Like, what is the difference between the two? There's got to be something that differentiates that boomer buyer who's in his or her 50s or 60s from the millennial buyer who is 21 years old and is on their phone the whole time. I think that communication style is massively important. You know, understanding your client and how they want to be communicated with. You know, boomers have a very different kind of communication style than the 21-year-old, like you said, who's on the phone the whole time. Physical catalogs, those are fading out. In my opinion, they're fading out. You know, it it's about getting online and getting to the website and, and seeing the goods and getting things over quick to the client. 
you know, a lot of them don't really, very few of my customers that I'm aware of actually like to have physical catalogs. Most yep. of them just want want the website, they want to go online, they want to browse, they want to shop. So, you know, obviously the, the better the website, the better it is for all of us. And then in terms of presentation style, what the client looks for. So I think that things are just much more fast paced. And I think that Boomers might have had the luxury of having a slow building right. kind of relationship with a loyalty that lasted for decades, and that's just not the landscape anymore. Yeah. It's just different altogether. So, But I think one of the best things is, because I know some people prefer email, some of them prefer phone calls, some of them prefer texts, you know, all that stuff. At the end of the day, it comes down to how does your client like to communicate? Yep. And as long as you can honor that and you can establish that, Right as you're signing them up as a new customer is, you know, how do you prefer to be reached out to? Do you want to get e-blasts with specials? Do you prefer me to call you once a month to see how you're doing? Would you like to give me a list of your events and I can provide you ideas two months ahead of time about what would work for you? You know, it's really about asking great questions to the client so that it shows that you're interested and that you care and that you're willing to respect and honor what their preferred communication style is. And then that way, that really paves the way. And I I think that helps a lot with lessening any kind of miscommunication or if your client is just annoyed if you call them every week because that's not how they want to be talked to or communicated with. They prefer an email, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever it is. So I think that that is kind of like the baseline is just understanding and recognizing and honoring what their communication style is. And if that doesn't jive for you, if you have a different communication style, then have that backup for yourself. I think that what I am hearing in all of this is that there's no question that to sell to a millennial customer, you have to be quick and you have to have some kind of presence on the web and you have to you have to understand their world. You have to understand the mobile world. You have to understand the social world and you have to understand the fact that they want things quickly. But what I think is so interesting about this is that, and I make this comment to, to those people who may be listening that are really confused by the younger buyer, that they go, I, I just don't understand these people at all. That at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is being a sales chameleon because, and, and I can draw upon my distributor experience with Right Sleeve in that we have some customers that are conservative boomer buyers that work at financial institutions. And then we've got a whole host of customers that are millennial buyers, early 20s, technology addicted, very, very impatient. Loyalty sometimes is a bit questionable, but at the end of the day, a successful salesperson is able to deal with both clients because they understand how to ask those questions and that they mirror what their customers are telling them. So you don't go into that bank client dressed in flip-flops and shorts, but you certainly are going to do that if you're selling Google. And so I think that to some extent this, not to trivialize this at all, but I think that if you really look at it from a big picture perspective, what you're really talking about is truly understanding your customer and recognizing that every customer is different regardless of what their age is. And and it's the, the truly, I think, conscientious salesperson that understands how to ask those questions and how to adapt to their different sales personalities of their customers. 100%, absolutely. And it does come down to you're right, a chameleon is a perfect word for it. Every person is different how they want to be communicated. So, right, the baseline, no matter who it is, do ask those kind of questions on how they do prefer to be communicated with. 
how they would like to be reached out to. Do they want fresh new ideas? Do they want to come to you with suggestions for what they're looking for? It's just an open dialogue, and I think that the more people are able to sit down and establish that with whoever their client is, the better off it is for the entire team. It creates cohesion and making them feel like it is a partnership rather than client and you know supplier, distributor, you know whatever. One of the things I do want to emphasize is the importance of how of critical primary writing skills, especially right. in an email format. Because as we all know, especially with texts, even things can get misinterpreted and misunderstood very easily in the tonality of an email and the verbiage that's used. It's so critical, especially because email, once they're out, they're there, and they're in the other person's hands, and it's up to the receiver and their perception of what you write. So having really critical writing skills, maybe even having templates set up of you know how to send out basic emails to people so that you know that everything is in alignment. And if anything goes wrong for whatever reason, pick up the phone and talk to someone. Yeah. You know, talk to the person rather than you know sending out an email and having it misunderstood and you know all that stuff. But yeah, the the writing skills that's one of the I think one of the biggest challenges because it has your name on it and your company's name on it, and you yeah. want to make sure that what's ever being conveyed is in the proper tone and format and scope. Right. Why don't we switch gears here and move? into hiring and recruiting and managing and training millennial employees. And I know that you have experience with both. And of course, you started off as, as, as a younger employee, so you're going to be able to bring your perspective to the table. But you're also now in a position where you're managing younger people. I know this is a very big question, but I might as well just start off with it. In your view, what does it take to recruit and retain younger talent today? Flexibility. I yeah. think that that is one of the key things. The, the landscape is also changing in terms of the workforce and the type of environment that they're in. I work remotely. I've been very privileged to have been given that opportunity to do that. It was the decision made in order to retain me. I was moving out of state. So they let me be the guinea pig to see is this something that our company could actually do. Can employees work outside the office and work hard and get it done? And I think the you know the response or the conclusion outcome I guess of that is that now we have I think four or five people that work remotely. Right. Um, and so that's something that is important not only to the younger workforce but also to women in the workforce as well um, as they do take on life changes and, and additions to their families and you know how are they able to maintain a career and still be able to juggle all the other balls in the air that they have. So flexibility in the workplace, I think, is definitely tops up there. I, I think that young people like to have mentors. They like to have people to look up to, someone to help guide them and, and teach them the ropes in the industry and in their career and, and what they want to do. And being empowered to take things on and, and learn new things, new tasks, skill sets, being involved, you know, I think it really all of those things are, are very important. I think that the, the younger generation, at least for myself, it, it's not a nine-to-five job for me. It's very important to my identity and my values, who I am as an individual and how I work. You know, And I think that more and more people are going to be drawn to companies that align with their values and their ethics and their morals and what's important to them. 
Right. Nate, in your business at Ideation, you know, the idea of flexibility is, I think, something that's been built into your model for quite some time. Now, I know you have a few employees, and I believe that all of them come in to work in your office. What were some of the decision points that you went through when building the staff at Ideation that I wouldn't say required them to work in the office? That's not what I'm suggesting. But how did you arrive at that decision to invest in an office space where people could come in to work physically every day at? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, have tried to create a, a cool environment, welcome environment, a place where people want to, you know, be. We've got snacks everywhere and, and modern furniture and got beers in the fridge and, you know, a television with Apple TV and all that kind of stuff. And I think for us, Adult TV? What, what kind of place do you work Apple, at? Anyway? Apple TV. No, oh. Apple. Apple TV. No, so, they can, so they can Netflix and Hulu and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> this is how, our, how millennials, you know, consume a lot of their content. Um, so, I got gotcha. you. Uh, so uh, not not adult TV. That's not, not about that. If you went to Bobby um, Lehu's office, it would be adult TV. I know. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's something down in, in Bobby's office. And so we, we wanted to create a space because we don't necessarily mandate that they work from here. We wanted a space where creativity could be shared amongst each other. Our account people have their own accounts and their own clients, but we all work together on you know a lot of major projects that our clients bring to us, and we spitball and we whiteboard. We've got a, we've got a whole wall that's painted in whiteboard paint, so essentially the whole wall is a whiteboard. So that's kind of the reason that we did that, so that people could have an environment where they could be creative and write on walls and and do that sort of thing. So. That was really important to us. But I will say this, that we don't have really clock watching. You need to be here at 8 and the light goes out at 5. Because of the world of millennials being constantly connected, the compartmentalization of work time and, and personal time is, is kind of melded together. So some of my best salespeople do some of their best creative thought work and presentation work at 11 o'clock at night. Or, right. you know, and so we don't have like this kind of, I mean, it's very fluid of when people can kind of come in. I mean, obviously, you can't abuse it, and we monitor that, but, you know, we, we also realize that we have customers emailing us and myself and our salespeople at 6 o'clock and 5.30 and 10 o'clock, and, oh, crap, you know, I was I forgot about this at the end of my day, and, and so we realize, and, and that's a lot, to going back to what Jeff said, is that we are very available pretty much 24-7, and so with that understanding that work is getting done really at all hours of the day when people are awake, we are very flexible in terms of when we, the expectation of what's going on um, right. in terms of when you show up at the office. And and I think production in our industry, in our business, you know, how much presentation, how much sales are you writing and that kind of stuff can help you get an understanding of who is taking advantage of it and using it positively and who is taking advantage of it and just taking you to the cleaners. Right, right. And you, you can track all that too. Right. You know, and I, I think, Jess, I remember you and I had a conversation about this several months ago. We had a great, great call just to catch up on, on a whole bunch of things. And, you know, you were talking about this industry being really special in that it is always provided flexibility. Like well before, you know, the dawn of the millennial generation, you know, came to invade the industry as an industry of a primarily sales-driven industry. A lot of people in this industry are contract or independent salespeople. They can work from home. And so I think that's really interesting that as an industry, I don't think that we've had a lot of trouble 
embracing this idea of flexibility. It's not like we're this heavily corporatized industry that where everyone worked in cubicles and all of a sudden now everyone wanted to work from home. There were always people working from home. There were always people working on the road. There were always people working part-time in this industry for the last several decades. So I think that that's one thing that our industry has going for it. And I don't know whether we do as good a job celebrating that and promoting ourselves as being progressive uh, in that respect. So I think it's an opportunity. Absolutely. Um, I, I can't remember if the statistic is 95 or 98, but 95 or 98% are small businesses, you know, and that's in the industry and that's just the way it has been. So I think you're right that it has been predominantly out of your house or, you know, a situation. I, I do think that offices, the more progressive that they are, such as right sleeve and ideation are perfect examples, moving more toward almost like an, an ad agency feel, atmosphere that really excites and elicits creativity, collaboration. You know, it's not walking in with gray wall and, and, and cubicles and, you know, all that stuff and separation. I, from what I hear and what I've seen at some of these more forward-thinking companies, it's, it's about, you know, allowing employees to, you know, be able to work independently but also together as a team and, and yeah. what, what kind of environment best nurtures that. And so I, I, I like that a lot. I think that that's going to be the continued uptrend. You know, you look at Google, that's probably one of the top companies they're working for. And I think right. more and more companies are going to start modeling that because millennials will be looking for that. And if the millennial generation apparently is going to be the largest, biggest, most massive workforce ever to hit the U.S., we're going to have to start making it very enticing for them to want to come and work for for our companies. Well, and I think that, you know, as positive as I was in that last statement about how the industry has always embraced flexibility, I think on the downside, I think the industry continues to have a fairly negative impression that it gives off for younger people, or at least I, I maybe this is a question, I won't quite make this as a comment, but my sense is that even though we're a flexible industry, I also think that we're primarily a sales driven and dominated industry. So if you want to come in and you're new, a lot of distributors or suppliers on the sales side will say, all right, well, here's your list. Here's the yellow pages or here's the LinkedIn. Go to it. And then they're often left on their own. They're in their house. They uh, don't really have support. They're not really collaborating in any particularly creative way with anyone back at the head office. And I feel that that is a real downer for someone who is young. And I feel the opportunity for our industry is to take a more collaborative, creative agency approach, because that's what I think younger people are really looking for, is to join a nurturing environment where they can collaborate and rub shoulders with other peers, as opposed to just being thrown out Willie Lohman style death of a salesman reference <laughs> where they're just on their own and it's sink or swim. And, and I, th I think that is a real problem in the industry and we often wonder why it is that we have trouble retaining younger talent. And I think it's because of that. I know that things have changed slightly in, in terms of sports. I think that's a great one. You know, they, there's been that comment where, you know, nowadays every kid gets a ribbon, you know, just yeah. for showing up. Yeah. And, but, but that's how they're thinking is that, you know, we're all in this together, you know, so to be left alone or behind and expected that, you know, if you're brilliant on the inside, you're going to bust through and you're going to do these things. Like, it's just, it's a completely different mentality. I think when we were at the conference and talking about, you know, the generational mentalities, and I think it was maybe the boomer that were just 
like they chose me, you know, like I'm fighting to get to the top and mm. being differentiated and, and standing out. I don't see that, that maybe that's still happening, but I think that over the to become much more of team aspects, team thought, working together, having mentorships, being guided, not to say that they can't do it on their own, but it really helps the process a lot easier, make it a lot better, a lot more successful to have the proper guidance and feedback for growth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like, um, and I'd love to get your take on this, Jess, is that millennials are more about culture, they're more about experience, they're more about, like you said, the team aspect, and less about trading time for money. I mean, they, everybody wants to make money and all that stuff, but it's, it's more about do I feel good where I work? Am I doing good work? Is it good for the soul? Is it good for the world? Is it, you know, good creative work and that sort of thing? I think that one of the, in my opinion, one of the struggles that our industry has is because we have this kind of model of, you know, all commission and independent contractors and all that stuff that, you know, we're not taking and spending the money as companies to get good millennials um, because we throw them to the wolves and kind of say, like, you're on yep. commission and here's your yep. phone and, and that we don't take the time to let somebody mature for two years and learn this business and take care of them and lose money on them with the, you know, investment of people that you see a lot of major companies do. And I don't know, you know what your model is. Ideation has moved to a salary model for that so that we can help people that don't feel like they're starving to death when they first get in. And it's a salary plus commission model. And so I don't know what you guys do, but, you know, I think that that's one of the philosophies that our industry may need to think about is how we compensate so that we that better meets the needs of millennials as opposed to, you know, people, I'm, I'm a millennial, but I'm at the end of the millennial work. You know, when I was coming out of college, it's like, how much money can I make and where can I make the most money and what can I right. do to make the most money? And I right. don't think millennials coming out of college think that way anymore. Right. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent, and I think it, it's not just a job anymore. It really isn't. I, I mean, maybe for some people initially to get a job, I don't care where it is, but I, I think that there is definitely more selectivity and, again, alignments with their morals or values or ethics, the culture, how they feel in it. Do they have the right kind of people in their corner? You know, it's so important because it's, I mean, they're going to be changing the world, you know, so how best can we set them up for success? Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, you're right, the, the previous models no longer work because that's just not the mentality and the mindsets right. of the people coming in anymore. So mm -hmm. I, I think that it's tremendous that you are starting them off on salary. I completely agree with that because it deters a lot of people that probably could be really great salespeople. It completely deters them away from that to say, oh, man, I have to start off at commission. I don't even know anything about this industry or what I'm doing. And I know that to some extent, you know, a good salesman is a good salesman. They'll sell anything, any industry. It really doesn't matter. Right. But when you're starting out, I mean, you can connect with people, and maybe that makes you kind of a good salesperson to start. But, you know, I, I think you're you're right. You're doing, it sounds like your company is doing all the right steps to welcome in the right people. Well, I had old guy Mark Graham. He mentored me on all this kind of stuff. So shout out to Mark Graham and Catherine Graham on the. Way, well, we yeah, have way, way too old. Yeah, we're, we're turning 60, <laughs> I feel. But, you, you know, I think this is such a fascinating turn in the conversation that I think. 20 years ago, if you came into this industry, and, and it would be interesting to hear from people that are listening to this, whether they agree, those people that have been in the industry for 20, 25 plus years, I maintain that it was easier 
to make money as a salesperson 20, 25 years ago in this industry because business was good. There was much less competition. The internet had not come and disrupted all, really everything. And I think you had a customer that was a lot more predictable. So that's my thesis. Again, I might hear from people that say you're absolutely wrong and it was terrible in the 80s and 90s, but, but I maintain that it was easier, whereas I think that you come into this industry now, you think we've grown as an industry. We haven't grown rapidly as an industry, mind you. We have so many more distributor and supplier competitors out there today. You have a buyer that is so much more educated than they were 20 years ago when they really had to rely upon the salesperson. And now the balance of power is completely shifted. I mean, we all know that. And for you to come in as a millennial that has also been trained to be made to feel like you're great and special and all that, I mean, that's a separate story. You come into this environment, and even though we say that we're really flexible, but if what that really means is sink or swim, then I think you're dead. And I, I think that the most successful companies in this industry are the ones that do invest to get that millennial salesperson up to speed, nurture them, and carry them through that initial difficult time when it is so much harder to earn uh, income. But once they've had that two or three years of really great training and nurturing, and I've seen it in at, at Right Sleeve, that people are incredible, and they're the ones that are able to compete against so many of these other people. So that's kind of a comment and, a, and a, maybe a wish that all sorts of other people in the industry continue to invest in their people and not look so short term when it comes to bringing these people into their companies. I'll get yeah, off my soapbox. No, I think that you're right. And, and to say that as we have progressed in this industry, if you want to be a distributor principal and like me and, and Mark and, and Robin, Bobby Lee Hewitt Robin and, and Danny at Brandfield, you know, you're looking to do the good big business with big companies and you're not about really spending time just getting as many jobs as you can and how many logos can I slap on and how many items and what can I make for that. And so the sales cycle is longer. By the time a salesperson makes an introduction and has a meeting and then actually gets a project, produces that project, delivers that project, and then it is billed an invoice, I mean, that's a long sales cycle. Yeah. The nice thing about our industry is when you get somebody and you impress them and you do good work, that that business becomes more frequent and it's repeat business. But that's a long sales cycle. And to have somebody come in who has lived a great life in college, probably not you know, much different than how they lived from home, come into your company, and then you're going to give them commission, and then they do, you know, they do decent work, $100,000, $120,000, $130,000, dollars their first year. By the time you split that all up, you know, that's not the greatest wage out of college to be making. They have to think about that potential. But if, if we can, I think as, a, as an industry, change that philosophy where we invest in people more up front and they don't have to necessarily worry about paying their bills like many do on commission, then I think more great millennials will be attracted to this industry. And as a whole, the, the bar will be raised because better people are, are interested in coming into this industry. Right. I agree. And I think, too, one of the biggest, most compelling things, honestly, is going to be the heart, the heart of the, the organization, the heart of the company. When you mentioned Danny Rosen from Branchville, I mean, who doesn't love that man? He's incredible. You know, there's so many really, really amazing people in our industry that are leaders in their companies and 
we need those people. We need those visionaries. We need those those people that have the heart and care that much about investing and growing their sales force, their employees, whether they're in sales or not, just growing the individual. And that takes a tremendous amount of dedication and commitment and having a vision of where they want their companies to go. And again, like, I mean, I think Google kind of set the standard. Zappos, you know, these companies that are tremendously successful, you know, they've done that because of people that they invest in and, and how they help them and make them feel part of their culture and what that culture looks like. Having a common vision and goal that everyone can get on board with is, I think, just going to become more and more important. Just switching gears just a little bit, two-part question. How does Matchup recruit millennials and people to come work for you guys? And also, in the same way, how do, how do you guys go to market and how do you guys market yourself towards prospects and, and in particular millennials? You know, we've been really grateful and thankful that we've had a very high client retention rate and a lot of our clients, because of our relationships that we've built with them, as they move on to other companies, we've been able to maintain that relationship and then pick up new clients yeah. as well. Isn't it great when they leave and you get a new client and then you get to keep the one that they left from? It's <laughs> yeah. the best way to grow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tremendous. You know, we are always looking for different, in terms of sales people, once with established books and, you know, stuff like that, we do work from within as well. In terms of millennials, a lot of it's word of mouth, you know, who do you know? Or when we do have positions open, we do recruit and look at people that sometimes have been with our clients or are in our industry or in the communities or, you know, something like that, that, you know, kind of are maybe one or two degrees away from what we do. So we have brought people in that are already in the industry. We've brought ones over that aren't but are, have worked with our industry, so they're familiar with the process and, you know, stuff like that. So we don't have, like, a, a set way of, of approach. Plan of action. Correct. Jeff, I could ask you questions all day, but in keeping an eye on the time, I think I've got one time for one more because we want to make sure that we can give you the opportunity for the last word. My question for you is, let's say I'm a distributor or a supplier owner. I've been in business for 30 years. I've got an aging workforce, sales force and customer service staff that are in their 50s and 60s. They've been in the business for a while. They're great at what they do. And I've got a, a few younger staff that I've got. And I'm complaining like I'm frustrated by these younger employees. You know, they're they're expecting the world, they're expecting to be CEO within six months, they're expecting this and that, and all this pay for not putting in the time and the effort. And it bugs me, right? I'm frustrated by these people. But I also recognize that the only way for me to bring in new employees is to primarily hire millennials because all the old guys are either working for other people or they're not interested in moving. So what do I do? I've got 10 more years in my business. I'm not looking to retire. I recognize that I need to sort of realign my company, but I don't quite know how to do it based on the fact that I am, at my heart and soul, a boomer distributor, supplier, entrepreneur. Honestly, I would say it would be hiring a Gen Y to help oversee right. uh, new staff and training and, and help with that transition right. because it is such a Gen Y or Gen X, basically someone that, that's a lot closer in age to the millennials but maybe has some more industry background yep. um, because it is such a mind shift, mindset and such a mentality and such a shift 
that it might be easier and more beneficial to have an intermediary person who can relate to both sides that can work as a liaison or, you know, so to speak, between the, the boomer owner and between the millennial employee and help guide and, and move the company toward the future and what that looks like. And, right. you know, there's obviously trust necessary in that as well. But I, I think that that's going to end up having to be, you know, whether it's some kind of manager or supervisor or, you know, something like that, but someone that can work on cultivating and growing those millennials because that does take a lot of time and energy and patience and commitment to do, and that is where the workforce is heading, so. Right. Yeah, that's a great answer. No, I think think it's a great answer, and I think that if you're sitting there and having difficulty managing those younger employees, oftentimes they need to have someone that is someone they can respect and they can look up to. And I also think that that provides upper mobility for someone who's younger in the company. So it's a great suggestion. And I think in many ways, I know that Adam, the owner of MatchUp, is younger, but to some extent, that's kind of been you, right? That you, you've come into the organization and brought this energy and vitality to the company and have complimented Adam's skill set. So I, I think that some of that is probably a personal story too. We have a lot of very talented people at our company. I know I've worked very hard to get where I have. I think that one of the things that's made the team that I oversee successful is that we are a team and that a success or a failure for one is a success or failure for the entire group. So we come together and really work on what makes us successful, what are our strengths, when we find our weaknesses, how can we make them better, addressing them. And I think that that has really helped a lot. We have weekly team calls, which I definitely recommend to any company. It helps all of us just kind of touch base and connect. Right. And another bit of wisdom or advice, I don't know how you want to word it, but if emails are going back and forth between two people, if it goes back and forth more than twice, I suggest to the team that they pick up the phone and talk because obviously there's a miscommunication happening and a misunderstanding about certain points of view and it gets cleared up a lot faster talking on the phone than it does continuing to go back and forth in email and it gets animosity and angry and you know stuff like that you know i think that there is again having a common vision common goals what we're trying to achieve as a team recognizing that we're all in this together and we will find a way before we end off Nate do you have a last uh, last question that you want to throw in here to Jess I don't I'm tapped out <laughs> so so Jess last word is yours you know what uh, do, 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 do you have any uh, any other last pearls of wisdom that you want to share with people that are listening to this call about penetrating the, the millennial mindset? I would just say it really comes down to conversation and having dialogues, sitting down with the employees or the potential new hire, whoever it is, and really getting to know who they are and what's important to them, yep. where they want to grow and how they want to grow, if that's something that will work for you. Because there's a big difference between hiring someone to have a body in the office and making a decision that is beneficial to both of you because that's going to make a much stronger employee or salesperson. You know, listening to the person and understanding what it is that they hope to achieve and what their own personal goals and visions are for themselves and leveraging that to benefit the entire company as a whole and in the industry. So creating a strong person can only help create a strong company. 
and I think that that's really important. And I, I just have to say I am so honored and grateful to be able to communicate and work and collaborate with folks like you two and, and Bobby and Danny and you know, so many other really wonderful people in the industry. It is a, a high honor to, to have this opportunity. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, listen, the honor and pleasure is all ours, I can assure you. Two jokers like us. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether you really meant that, but we have fooled the whole world. I know, I know, I know. The power of branding. I tell you. I know. That's it. So, uh, Jess, thank you so much on behalf of the entire Promo Kitchen community, everyone that tunes into this podcast. Nate Bailey, awesome to sit in the co-host chair with you today. And Jess, thank you so much for your time and, and great morsels of, of wisdom here. Until next thank time. You so much. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely.